When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. So here we are, and welcome everybody to yet another edition of our program from the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. I'm Mel Rosenberg, and I have a wonderful guest today, Sarah Sassoon. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mel. Thanks for having me. I so appreciate being here. Yes, and and it's so rare that, um, that I get to interview someone from Israel. So uh, we have the same uh, time zone. Uh, but in addition to that, we have so much in common. Um, you're a poet. Your family is Iraqi, and my wife is a poet, and her family is Iraqi. And uh, you are a wonderful children's author, and I am perhaps on the way to becoming a wonderful children's author, not yet. Uh, and um, so much we have in common. And we're here to celebrate uh, your new book, new book, seven, eight months old. That's new. Uh, Shoham's Bangles, which are released from Carbon and has already become a Sydney Taylor, Taylor notable and has won the Crystal Kite Award. So, uh, and also a PJ Library book. And I think that's wonderful. So, Sarah, show us your book. Tell us about your book and then we'll talk about your life. Okay. So, this is Shoham's Bangle. It's a story inspired actually by this bracelet or bangle that I'm wearing on my wrist, the blue one from my grandmother. And it's all about a young girl from Iraq who loves her bangle that her grandmother gifts her. And they do wonderful things with this bangle in Iraq. But when they have to leave, just like um, my family had to leave Iraq in 1951, um, she can't take her bangle because they weren't allowed to take possessions. So it's a bit sad and um, they leave Iraq and she's her grandmother gives her pita bread to hold. And then she arrives in Israel and she finds that not only is she in a new land, but she also got to take a little bit of her old land with her, with the pita bread, which has a little surprise in it. I don't know, do I give it away? Um, and yeah, it's got the bangle and she's got her family. And I think this is a very close story to my heart because even though I grew up in Australia with an immigrant Iraqi Jewish family, there was this sense of being together, which I think is what I was brought up with as our most important value, that no matter what happens, we have each other. And that's the message of the book, that no matter what happens to a family, no matter what happens to a community, um, you know, the value of having each other and um, being together is what's counts and it's a bonus that she got to have a bangle which reminds of where she comes from so also not to forget where we come from 
and to use those values, um, cultural values, cultural histories, to help us settle in a new place and enrich our new environment. So that, in essence, is what the book's about. So, so who are the heroes in the story, actually? So it's interesting because Lilith Magazine picked it up as um, one of the top feminist children's books of the year. And I was so happy because who ever heard of an Iraqi Jewish grandmother as a heroine? And yet that's what my grandmother was for me. And that's who um, the grandmother is for Shoham. Um, her name's um, Nana Aziza, just like my grandmother was. And she's a heroine because she manages to bake bangles into the pita bread and take it out of Iraq in a very clever, tricky way. But more than that, she gives her strength to her granddaughter to keep going, to resettle and to remember that, you know, it's it's hard and they like but they like the Israelites leaving Egypt. You know, this is a journey story. And we have we've had this journey before as the Jewish people and to take strength in that. So she's the heroine and Shoham's the heroine because she also makes the move. She embraces what her grandmother has to teach her. And it's something she will teach her children. So in a way, it's the everyday woman, it's the everyday mother and grandmother who is who is the heroine in this book. And to me, are the heroines in everyday life. So I, 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 I think I think that uh, your passion for this story uh, is infectious in the way that it becomes a universal story. So it starts out something very, very private, uh, very specific, a slice of life that all the Iraqi Jews faced because they were disowned um, of all their property when they when they left uh, Iraq in the 19, let's just say Iraq, in the 19, uh, 1951. Uh, but this then becomes a a universal tale of family and of uh, of uh, of ownership m m far beyond the bracelet. Um, so now's the good time to uh, take the book and show everybody those people who are watching the video and a few words about the uh, lovely illustrator. So Noah Kellner is an Israeli illustrator, and she is just a wonderful human being and person. Her grandmother was Algerian. And so when she did this book, she really spent, I'll just open to the page where she just, one of the most beautiful spreads in the book that she captures is this spread of Nana and Shoham um, on the roof in Baghdad. That's a very typical scene because um, in summer, Baghdadis and Iraqis in general sleep on the roof. She yeah. captured details like that, which are historical and factual so beautifully because she did all this research and she went to her own family photos to really look and see what was life like in the 1950s, 1940s in, um, in for Jews in the Middle East. Um, and she gave a whole presentation recently when we presented the book in Jerusalem and she showed all her research and it was pretty fabulous. I learned new things that she had done in the book that I hadn't known about. Like if you notice the arches that are repeated, that's a very Middle Eastern Baghdadi kind of theme. And she repeats it in the airplane, but puts black around it because it's an ominous time. It's a dark time, this moving countries like that, this sense of loss. And so the feeling of the book isn't just in the words, as we know, it's very much in the illustrations. And she manages to capture 
a joy of, of Jewish life in Baghdad, but also that heavy loss as they leave. So, so, so now is a good time to read a little bit of your wonderful book. Okay, great. How much should I read? As much as you want. We, we don't want to get Carbon, the publisher, angry, though. No, we'll just read a couple of pages. Yes. Okay, is this clear enough? They're very clear. Okay, Nana, Ziza, and I share a jingle jangle of bangles. She has many, I have one. Our bangles make clink clinking music when we chip chop garlic and onions. Wonderful. Ah, it's where the pages get stuck. They cut perfectly round cookies when we bake. They glitter golden in the sun when we pick figs from our garden. Best of all, Nana Aziza has taught me that if I don't want to forget something, I can move my bangle from one wrist to the other, my own special golden reminder. And maybe I'll read the next page just to see what happens. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> one morning, my mother slips my bangle off my wrist and my whole world slides from my hands. The time has come to leave Iraq. We are going to Israel, my mother says. Israel? I know my father longs for Israel in his songs and prayers, but what about my bangle? The Iraqi government will not allow us to bring our jewelry with us. But don't worry, we have each other, Shoham, my mother says firmly. I don't ask about leaving my ho our house and fig tree. So, I don't know if you can see that clearly. So you can see Noah's captured just the inside lounge life with the tea and which the Iraqis drank all the time. Um, and, 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 still, and, and still do. And still do. They actually, one of the jokes is when they came to Israel, if they didn't have tea in the Mabara, they would have just definitely just returned. They would have just, or just no matter, even if they weren't allowed to return, they would have just left. Cook, cook, cooked tea, which they call chai mhadar. Yes. And so, a um, method, how to make it. Yeah. So, so Sarah, tell us, uh, tell us your story because, um, in 1951, when the Jews felt physically threatened and, and had to leave Baghdad, uh, many went to, um, Israel and uh, many went to England and some went to the States and Canada, but Australia. So my family were the ones who went to Israel. 120,000 Jews left in 19, between 1950 and 1952. That was the grand exodus. Many left, not many, but some had left before, like my husband's family in 1924, I think they left to Manchester. Um, so that there were signs along the way. And I feel like my husband's great grandfather saw the signs and that's why he left with his family earlier um to England so you have like and also many of the Baghdadis were merchants so many had left for economic reasons to for financial um gain they were merchants and they kept a very close connection to Baghdad they would come back to marry Baghdadi girls so the Iraqi Jews in general were very global and um, what happened in 1951 is that all my grandparents were on that on the flights to Israel, Operation Ezra Nehemiah. 
and they lived in the Mabarat and they were in Israel. 16 years later, my father's family moved to Australia where my grandmother had a sister. Um, yeah. So one of the stories actually is in Iraq. My grandfather said to my grandmother, he wants to go to Australia. And my grandmother said, no, only to Israel. And she lined all the five children up, including my father, and told them to tell their father that only to Palestine. And that's what they told their father. We're only going to Israel, only to Palestina. So, so uh, you, you were born in Australia. But so I was born in Australia. So my father, um, at the age of about 21 or 20, yeah, 22, went to Australia and he studied law and he, the whole family of eight children established themselves in Australia. And um, later he went to Israel. He, they used to visit Israel often because they had so much family there. And he met my mother and they got married and she immigrated to back to Sydney with him. So my mother's Israeli and her parents are from Iraq as well. Incredible. So um, what was it like for you growing up in Sydney? Did you feel different? Did you go to a Jewish school? Tell us a little bit, because right. you know, I have my theory that those of us who write for young children are young children at heart or have some issue that they have to resolve. Oh, I love that. Okay. I'm definitely a kid at heart. I think um, I lost myself in the world of books because it's the only place where I felt like, oh, there are other worlds where people are different and I'm like them. Or even if they don't reflect me, I, I get to disappear into a world where no one can see me in a way. Do you know what I mean? It's like the perfect place for a kid who feels different is in books. <laughs> and, um, and why did you feel different? I guess... Um, I was different. Um, I had immigrant parents. Um, my father is a very Middle Eastern father. So he sent me to the very small Jewish Chabad school. He didn't want me to be with boys. Um, so I, I grew up in a very Ashkenazi school. And there I was not Reli even religious, religious, very religious school. We were Masorati as Iraqis usually are. Um, Traditional. Very traditional, very traditional. So we had Shabbat and Pesach, but um, for Pesach, I remember at my grandparents' house, they would um, buy the this big, beautiful gelato cake from the gelato bar in Bondi, just every fruit beautifully sculpted, like a banana, which would be banana flavor and orange, which would be orange flavor. But that was obviously, according to the very, very religious, not kosher for Pesach. Even though for my grandparents from Iraq, it's just gelato. It's kosher for yeah. Pesach. So that was one of my early memories. Um, yeah, so were you, I, I was, a, when my parents sent me to a religious school in Canada, I was like a, um, I was like a, a religious police in grade one. Right. This, this right. ice cream is not kosher. It has to go. This contains gelatin. Yes. So it did happen to us as well. Like I also became more religious, not in grade one, maybe a bit later as I became more aware, maybe grade four or five. Because uh, I just wanted to fit in. So I was also like, oh, Shabbat, you don't drive to shul. Um, you can't drive. And if we drove to shul, I was like hiding at the back of the car. Um, so that quickly ended. We started walking. And, and my father obviously knew all the laws because he had gone... He, he was Iraqi and he had grown up in Israel and he had gone to a, a religious school in Israel. They knew the laws, but the Iraqi were like, 
easygoing. There's no such thing as secular or religious or conservative or reform. They don't judge according to what you keep. You're just Jewish. There's no judgment. So it's very different in the Ashkenazi world. And um, I did, I, also, I grew up with Iraqi Jewish customs and Judeo-Arabic was spoken, but it wasn't necessarily spoken to me or explained to me. The history also wasn't explained. Only now I've been researching and tying all the pieces together. And as I read books, it's reminding me of stories I was told or things I grew up with. So it's it's like piecing together this history that wasn't necessarily spoken about, but um, was lived, yeah. which makes which is interesting. You, you you in addition to being a uh, a celebrated I can say now a celebrated children's author uh, with this uh, award winning book, um, you're also an, a uh, an international poet. So bring us uh, bring us uh, up to scratch on that as well when you talk about how you grew up. Okay, so I, I'm, I'll call myself an accidental poet. Um, that's very much related to me coming to Jerusalem. When I came to Jerusalem, I began- Oh, no, no, one second. I was still in high school. We're not- Oh, high school. So growing up- we I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not letting you off that easily. Oh, uh, okay. We have to go back to my childhood. Okay. Yes. So poetry and growing up. It's interesting. I never saw myself as particularly literary, even though I had a great vocab. I don't think my confidence in English was that high because maybe of my immigrant parents, maybe I always loved stories and telling stories. But um, if I said to my English teacher in high school, I want to become a writer, she was like, well, you have to be Jeffrey Archer to become a writer. And I'm like, I don't even like Jeffrey Archer. I don't want to be that. And so it was just like a dream to write. And poetry wasn't even an option because only very intelligent and well-spoken um, people could be poets, I guess, in my mind. You had to be somehow very accomplished. Um, so poetry for me was always something beyond. Um, I never expected to be a poet. Um, I never understood poetry. It was not very well taught at my school either. Um, did, did but you go I, to did love, I did love Tanakh. I loved the Bible, mm -hmm. which is interesting. And uh, in high school, you were in a uh, secular or religious high school? Very small religious Chabad high school. I remind you, I have a Middle Eastern father. There was no wow. way I was going to be allowed to go to an open, non-Jewish or... Um, co-ed high school there was no way wow it was very important it's a very middle eastern um value to keep daughters very protected yes so I, 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 I very middle eastern that's for sure so you, you finished high school in chabad with this ultra orthodox school and yes. a, a traditional a loving family and then what happened then I went straight to university. So I was allowed to go to university, which feels like a miracle looking back. <laughs> but I got into law, so my father was happy. And I ended up going to university. And interestingly enough, in Australia, you can't just do a straight LLB. You have to do a combined degree. So I ended up doing a BA law. And I gravitated towards the Jewish subjects. I ended up studying classical Hebrew, which is Bible studies, basically, and um, Jewish history, Jewish civilization with some fabulous teachers. 
Um, and it was a great experience because suddenly I was studying um, Tanakh or biblical studies with non-Jewish teachers. And I was learning mm. things like about the Septuagint and um, just the background that you would not learn in a Chabad school. So whilst I had a wonderful um, Jewish education, this kind of broadened my Jewish education within the world. Shall I guess that you went to Monash or that's ridiculous? No, I went to Sydney University. Ah, okay. The yeah. Wow, and they teach all this there. Yes, it was very wow. impressive. Yes. Fabulous. So uh, you finished your degree and you're 20, 21 years old. Well, let's see. I've got a Middle Eastern father. What was mm -hmm. I meant to do? Get married. Exactly. <laughs> so I was really good and I got married at 20 and I moved to South Africa because my husband was from South Africa. And I lived there for 14 years and I had four boys. I was a really good girl. <laughs> okay. And, um, and you still are. And um, now we can talk about your growth into becoming a poet. Right. So coming to Jerusalem eight years ago, I was looking for a writing community. My boys were bigger. I had more time in my hands. And um, I met, I went to a, this is why everyone should go to writing workshops, poetry workshops, whatever's on offer. I went to a poetry workshop down the road in Jerusalem. And I really sucked in the poetry workshop. I just want to share that with everyone because um, it's true. I didn't do well and I was okay with not doing well. Everyone's reading their work and everyone got clapped. And I was like, read my five lines because I'm a quick writer and no one was very impressed. And I was okay with that because I didn't see myself as a poet. It was actually a poetry workshop. And after the workshop, everyone was talking and um, to each other chatting. And I spoke to this lovely guy and said to him, do you know of any writing groups in Jerusalem? And he said, I don't have a writing group, but we do have a poetry group with a one space available. I'm like, I don't write poetry. You could see I don't write poetry. And he's like, no, no, come join us. And I had studied um, an honors course in uh, Witt University in Johannesburg. So I had written a little bit of poetry, I'll be honest, a little bit. And um, it was actually a whole interview process in the end. I'd send my poetry, they had to accept me, that to, um, see if it worked within the group and thank god it did work because it ended up being the best thing i ever did was join this poetry group i fell in love with poetry they put up with my not such good poetry to begin with and they encouraged me to keep going and um, there's nothing like being in a wonderful um literary group where everyone's growing together and they were a bit older than me and wiser and more life with much more life experience and it was just the best thing i've ever done so through Am that i'm a poet amazing so um <clears throat> i have to go back a little bit so during the years when you were living in johannesburg uh which is a difficult place to raise for jewish kids um were you were you working at the same time? Did you work as a lawyer? No, so I had to kind of give up my degree um, because moving place in law, I'd have I had to read two subjects, and I just wasn't um, wasn't happy to do that. I wasn't that passionate. I enjoyed it, but I wasn't passionate enough. I actually went more into Jewish education and well, leaned did into you, my. Did you, did you teach? What what kept you busy? I taught adults for the Melton program and I taught at the academy where I'm still a part of the faculty 
um, which is associated with LSJS in London. So they do wonderful um, adult education courses, biblical and all sorts of topics. And through them, I actually got to teach a lot of Iraqi Jewish history as I taught the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So that's like my passion to teach um, Tanakh and and unite it with, with modern um, themes of what we're living, living through now. And, and in one sentence, what brought you to Israel eight years ago? You've been all over the place. True. I just um, really felt um, if I didn't try and live in Israel at least once, um, I would regret it for the rest of my life. I just felt this is the place for Jews. It's a place where I, I belong. I felt it very deeply. And maybe because of all the uprooting, I, I needed that. I needed to feel like here is a place I belong. And I have to say, I found it. And um, maybe it's also being in the Middle East suits me a lot more. It suits my personality more. I think I was a little bit of a shock for South Africa. Um, um, and yeah, and I love Australia. I have to say, Australia is the most wonderful place. It's a wonderful place to bring up children. Um, mm. Australia is so great, and I feel so appreciative that I grew up there and I learned so much. And I'm always happy to go back and visit. But as a Jewish person, to feel that I'm in a country where the festivals are the same, where I don't walk to Shul and Shabbat and have to feel like there's cars zooming past. And um, I don't have to worry about anti-Semitism in the same way, feeling different or feeling I have to hide being a Jew in any way. I'm just here, which is such a relief in some ways. And as an Iraqi Jew as well, there's so many Iraqi Jews around, it feels like home. And I don't think I could have done the research I'm doing now if I lived still in Sydney or in Johannesburg. So I, I didn't know this. So like your, your blossoming as an author was concomitant with uh, making Aliyah and coming to live in Israel. Yeah, I That's... think coming to Jerusalem helped me find my voice. Wow. So um, you're, you're an established poet now. Can, can you read us something, please? Sure. So this is, um, I just pulled up some poems from my micro chat book that was um, published by Harbour Review last year. I thought to read some grandmother poems because um, that's what Charms Bengal centered around. And I thought I'd start with Henna. This is based on the Henna party my grandmother threw for me just before I got married. It was very, very special. I didn't understand what was going on, but um, researching, I'm like, yeah, that was my Henna. <laughs> So, um, henna. One she painted henna on my right hand, stuck a soft pink Turkish delight on each finger to hold up high above my head. Brown paint covers what is bare, wide-eyed. It is red, says a small voice inside me, dried blood. What is it to shed virginity, family, home? Home is in henna, home is in blood. Home is held up with five sweet fingers, beyond the pearl lulu bangle, beyond the diamond earrings, beyond the citrine pendant, I open my palm. There are no intricate brush patterns. There is only her rivered finger that draws a circle, birthwise. Round and around she chants, Judeo-Arabic evil eye curses, upon those who might forget her love. I see the blood. 
I hold it high. I hold it open, always open, to remember once upon a time I was her girl. Wow. So I'm going to ask for another poem. That was beautiful. <laughs> okay. We're supposed to be talking about children's books, but we'll get back to that. Okay. Well, this is another one about my grandmother. Um, the color Jew. My skin is the color of olive tree roots spanning continents in generated thousands of years under the Middle Eastern sun. My foremothers were dimmies harbored in black hijabs, the color of wailing. My grandmother says I'm not allowed to wear. She's my Baghdadi grandmother, replanted near Haifa by the sea, behind a guarded fence, where she learned to scrub immigrant tent mud off her family. She wore dresses the color of singing flowers, lavender alium, blue woodruff, Persian iris, the wild pink, and her favorite red roses. Today I picked a dandelion and blew its silvery seeds far over wild grass, Never to forget my grandmother's 11th commandment, be happy. Wow, beautiful. Thank you. That's, that's wonderful, Sarah. Okay, so, wow. Um, how, do, how did you break in as a traditionally published author? Uh, the odds being one in 5,000 against us. How did you succeed? Right. Um, I think... I'll, I'll share how I felt. Um, I've, in 2018, I went to the SCBWI New York conference. I wanted to visit my grandfather in LA and I timed it so I could get to the conference. I just started writing children's um, manuscripts like a year before. I had heard of a cool story at Pan from a Korean student. And I thought it was such a fabulous story. I wanted to write into a children's story. So that got me into learning about children's stories. And I joined SCBWI Israel. And at the conference, I was like punching way beyond my weight to be at this conference with so many published authors. And also they were unpublished. And it was just a wonderful experience of meeting other authors and want to be authors and realizing that all the publishers want, all an agent wants is a good story. So I left very humbled, but also knowing in me that I'm going to keep writing until I write that story. And so I did. And then when I wrote Sham's Bangle, um, I, I'd always wanted to write about my grandmother's bangle that was gifted to me when she passed away. And the story just came out and I'd always known I'd write about Iraq. And as soon as it was written, I like had the shivers and I'm like, okay, this is the story. And I showed it to some friends and they helped critique it and refine it. And then I sent it to Journey at Carben and um, she picked it up right away. So I think it's just about knowing everyone has that at least one story in them and you just need to refine your skills and believe in it and keep going as much as possible. So you had karma with carbon. Yes, exactly. Uh, and uh, but you're not a one trick pony, Sarah, you have uh, two more books coming out that I know of and a bunch in the works that I don't know of. So, uh, so can you, yeah, can you I'm, share? I'm an obsessive writer. Um, I've got way too many ideas, um, which is a good thing. Um, but it's also about focusing and making sure they come into fruition, right? Um, I guess, like you said, we're all kids at heart, all as children authors. And 
Um, I really believe there's a story in everything. So whenever I have an idea, I go with it and see what comes from it. So the book that's coming out next year is also with Carben. It's called This Is Not a Challenge. And I really, really wanted to write about Tibet. But I also really, really, for those who don't know, Tibet is a traditional Shabbat dish. It's an Iraqi Jewish dish that Iraqis cook every Shabbat for lunch. And it's cooked overnight, just like Chaland. So that's One the thing, dish. But, but we have, we have, you're not going to believe this, but we have some listeners who aren't Jewish. Right. So, so Chaland is the Ashkenazi Jews uh, Sabbath food, which is slow cooked uh, overnight. And uh, because I married into an Iraqi family, I know Tibet. It's a lot better than Cholin. Right. So it's with chicken and rice, and it is, I also think it's better. Um, but I'm biased, heavily, heavily biased. Um, so I grew up with that, and it was very different. And I guess I wanted to write a book about growing up different in Australia. So I created a Shabbat Cholent competition. And my character is her name's um, Amira, and she enters to be into the challenge competition. And everyone's watching, and they're like saying, "This is not a challenge." As she and her grandmother make the challenge, so it's um, it's a very heartwarming book, and I was really pleased to set it in Sydney, Australia. Um, and it, it's coming up Pesach next year, spring next year. And I think it'll be, it's a fun book. It's much less heavy than Shams Bengal, but it just has an important message as well, which is to be brave about where we come from and to share um, the special dishes we have, the special cultures we come from. And they, they haven't survived um, the journey over the sea for no reason. So, yeah, that's... That's one of the books that's coming out next year, and please God more. I I, um, I uh, know that you're also a uh, you like to cook in your own right. Yes, I'm. I think it's part of the deal of being an Iraqi Jewish woman is you learn to share yourself and your love through your hands. So I'm very into cooking, and I love cooking um, Iraqi dishes, even though they take the longest time. Um, because they remind me of my grandmother. And if I get it to taste like my grandmother, I feel like I'm passing a little bit of her to my children. Okay, but th then the kids come and they wolf it down. And sometimes they say thank you and they're off again. Yeah. And you've, but... you've worked on this for eight hours and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, and it makes mom... me feel really guilty because I did that to my grandmother. We used to just wolf her food down with like zero appreciation. And I think that was the beauty of it, that she just enjoyed seeing us enjoy. And I do the same with my kids. I enjoy seeing them enjoy. And it's something I need to do even more of. I need to write less and cook more for them. Sometimes I wish I could feed them my poetry. That would be useful. <clears throat> That's a project. Yes. That's a story. So, so Sarah, now that you you've made it and you and you have um, stories that are selling to the Jewish community, but also I have a feeling that you're working on books. Well, I know you are that um, are uh, universal in their scope and background. Um, what advice do you have to give to aspiring authors uh, who are not there yet? 
My best advice is to keep going. I know how disheartening rejections are. Every writer has them. Um, follow what you love. Don't follow what you think will sell. Um, and learn the craft. It really is a craft. And that's where poetry has helped me so much because poetry is about being very careful with language and also having fun with language. And that's what a children's book is. It's the fun of the words, but also the meaning of the words. So if you combine both and have a good story, there's no reason your book won't sell. Um, and to put your heart into it, it hurts with the rejections, but it's worth it in the end. So um, there's two things here that I want to broach with you. Um, the first is that some people, people like me, until I went to the SCBWI in 2016, had a similar experience. I thought that I wrote really well. Uh, wow, what a slap in the face for me to come to New York and see that everybody else was writing better than me. Uh, that was an oive moment. Um, would you like to comment on that, please? I think maybe it's a gift to think you're writing really well because it keeps you writing. <laughs> it's it's humbling to to be pushed and know that you could be writing better. And I think it's just to use it as a push rather than a discouragement. Um, there will always be someone writing better than me. There will always be someone writing not as well as me, but I have to write as best as I can and keep pushing myself within my own limits. And that's what every writer has to do um, to keep reading and writing and reading again, reading. I was always told by um, by other writers, read you. That's one of the biggest advice you can receive as a, a writer. Just read. And it's true. Read, read and read, read everything. Um, because you never know what's going to feed your next story. That's wonderful. So uh, this has been an incredible uh, discussion uh, with the wonderful Sarah Sassoon. Uh, and uh, your book um, is out in English, Shoham's Bangle, by Carben, published a few months ago, garnering award after award. Uh, and it's become a PJ library book, which means that tens of thousands go out to Jewish kids uh, all over the world. And that's incredible. Uh, when are we going to see it here in Hebrew? As if we had pyjama. I would love to see it in Hebrew, not for me, but for all the Iraqi families here. Because for I've had feedback from Middle Eastern families, not just Iraqi. They weep when they see the book because suddenly their story is seen. And that's one of the biggest um, issues that have come up is that the Mizrahi culture and the Mizrahi story is not being told. And so I'm so pleased to have Shom Spengel to offer as a gift to anyone who wants to read about the Mizrahi Jewish experience. So, yeah, please, God, they, they, maybe they, they'll pick it up. That would be really special for everyone. Mm -hmm. I can say is that I'm lucky to have married into an Iraqi family and the and learn the, some of the customs and the philosophy and um, the ability to to be Jewish and traditional without being a Michiganess. Um, right. To have yes. it as part, as part of your life and to enjoy it rather than to suffer from it. 
Exactly. I think it's a very rich ancient Babylonian community who knows who they are. So they don't have to, um, they're not insecure. They know who they are. They know where they come from. So they, they don't, um, they don't have to hold on to rigidity in their culture or traditions to prove that they're Jewish or a better Jew. They, they know it's just a very special, relationship with God and with other human beings and what counts is how we treat each other, not um, how we keep the laws as much as how we treat each other. That's the way I was brought up. And it's a good way. And the community is 2,500 years old. Yes. So uh, one of the most ancient uh, Jewish communities uh, that still exist. Um, So is there anything I haven't asked you? Really? Well, if there is, then um, I would like to invite you back to the show. So then the next book of yours coming out next year, give me a, a ring, holler. I'm just down the street in Ramat Gan. We'll do another interview because this has been spectacular. So uh, Sarah Sassoon, uh, congratulations on Shuam Bango, uh, all the other stuff you're doing, your poetry, uh, your new life in uh, in Israel. Uh, and... Uh, it's been a great pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Mel. It's been a delight, really. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. And I am Mel Rosenberg, who is the host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network, telling everybody, have a good life. Write, 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 read, read, read. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Suffer and enjoy the suffering. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye. Thank Bye, you. Bye, Sarah. Bye.